Welcome back to the Respect the Drive podcast. I'm Tedward, and Porsche has beaten Tesla. There's a new cannonball record, and it no longer belongs to the Tesla Model 3. The Porsche Taycan now reigns king. I have got Kyle, Timon, and Drew on the show today to talk about their run, which just took place less than a week ago. All right, I guess it was a week ago. But they've lifted the embargo. We can now talk about it. This is very exciting. So the beginning of this starts off getting to know these guys, what's going on. But honestly, the longer this conversation goes on, the more interesting it gets. And I had so much fun talking about this. You know, it's one thing to look at a typical gasoline or diesel-powered cannonball record. The speeds are sexy, everything's wild, but these like nuanced EV cannonballs, I think are really interesting to show, A, the capabilities of the charging networks across the country, but also the shortcomings of the cars and those networks, because what better way to show that EVs aren't quite there yet than a time that's nearly 20 hours longer to travel this country. What's even more impressive is that they did this in the winter. Cold weather is not a friend of electric vehicle range. And these wet, salty roads are certainly not good for the longevity of your car. So that's why my M5 is up at Garage 42 in Woburn, Massachusetts, living the good life in a temperature-controlled secure facility so it can last me forever or until the values are so great, uh, maybe, who knows, that I can sell it for a healthy profit. But... Shout out to Garage 42 in Woburn, Massachusetts. So, without further ado, let's just let's just get into it. Let's talk about some Cannonball. So right now you're let's yeah, let's start. So right now you're calling me from California, from I assume close to, I don't know, the Portofino. Actually, we're up in near uh, Pasadena because we were uh, having some fun with cars in uh, Angeles Crest. And how did you arrive to California? In what vehicle and how quickly and from where? Right. Well, that's that's the thing. We haven't really said it yet. So <laughs> it's kind of weird to talk about it for the first time. Uh, Timon, why don't you tell everyone what we did and our time? Okay, we took a Porsche Taycan 4S, 4S from Red Ball Garage to Portofino in 44 hours, 25 minutes, and 59 seconds. That is bananas. So introduce yourselves first because i see kyle who we know we've had you on the show before with the with the with the tesla now we're in porsche territory so who are these other two fellas right so timon's a good friend of mine for years uh, works with out of spec now which is our our media company and um yeah timon ex- introduce yourself what do you what do you do and why did you go on a <laughs> cannonball run with us <laughs> well i now live with kyle in colorado and the last cannonball he did, I was quite jealous that I didn't get an invite. And the first time he brought it up about doing it, I was like, I'm down. I'm 100% going. Um, maybe my back didn't agree with this run. Kind of hurts. <laughs> 44 uh, hours is a long time. Like, no joke. Like, cannonballs suck to begin with. And and, and, and a good cannonball is a sub-30-hour run. And in EV land, you know, we're, we're about 20 hours up on what a fast petrol cannonball is. It's a yep. 44 hours in a car is no joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'm the main photographer and filmer for out of spec and soon to be, uh, some other channels. Yeah. Excellent. All right. And who's this other guy? And, and this is Drew Peterson and, uh, Drew, you can introduce yourself. Why yeah. did you go on this run with us? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, uh, I, I, uh, know Kyle through, uh, Tesla stuff. Um, I'm the owner of uh, Martian Wheels, which does um, Tesla parts, including, uh, yeah, wheels for those cars. And so, yeah, been talking to Kyle for a little while, and uh, he he, uh, let me know of his uh, ambition to go and beat his own record with the the Taycan. Um, And, uh, yeah, he, (laughs) I think I said it uh, a little while ago, they sold it very well. Made it sound like it was going to be oh no big deal, you know we're gonna we're gonna break it easily, um, and uh, it obviously did not uh, not turn out uh, quite quite uh, to be as easy as as he expected it to be. But um, yeah, so uh, first cannonball run, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So before we get into the details of of the car or of what went wrong, because every cannonball 
is less about what went right and what went wrong. No matter how successful you are, any but every single person who crosses that line, whether they've beaten a record or not, instantly starts recounting. Oh well, you know, we could have been an hour and a half faster if. <laughs> it's like right. the, that is that is yeah. the mark of a true cannonballer is not yeah. reveling in your success. It's immediately pointing out all the shit you did wrong. So first of all, you did this in a Porsche. <laughs> that is thing. all we have done. It's all you've done. It's all you've done. So first of all, you've you've got a Porsche Taycan for us. Now this is objectively in the EV world, most people would say the worst car ever to go across in because everybody's freaking out about its range. So before, actually, before we even go that deep, I just want to say EV cannonballing, I think as much as it may not have the, um, the cachet of the excitement factor of, you know, 190 miles an hour for as long as you can go with as little fuel stops as possible. Um, I do think that it's more relevant today because cannonball cannonball objectively is about, is about proving something in, in way back when it was about proving that you could traverse this continent on four wheels in a reasonable amount of time. And it became a thing where then it was like, Oh, let's see who can go faster at this point. Even if somebody breaks 25 hours, um, that will be, yes, it's relevant because it's exciting news, but it's obviously possible given the right amount of planning. Now, when you do this in an electric vehicle in what we'll call a reasonable amount of time, anything under 50 hours, let's say, uh, the big limiting factor is obviously your battery capacity. The same way that fuel is your potential energy that's your limiting factor in a petrol car, battery charge is what's going to limit you in this EV world. And especially with the first ones coming out when you guys did this and when, when Kyle did this in the Tesla, it was a big deal because it was proving that the Tesla charging network was capable of supporting a vehicle across the country. Now, here we are in more mainstream land where we're trying to, you know, all these major OEMs are trying to prove that, hey, guess what? Us too. And they like these big claims about the Electrify America network is going to be faster. You're going to have more charge points. Yet, I think in practice, it's a little more Microsoft versus Apple, <laughs> where Tesla is the Apple of this land. Where does the Taycan fall in this world? Like, why is this? Why is the Taycan now the fastest car across the country? EV. Right. Well, uh, this is this is sort of what I had exact same thoughts uh, as you. You know, everyone's in this same area of, you know, if you're an electric car, even Tesla owners, people that are heavily invested in EVs that that drive electric cars, Tesla or not, they um, they, they feel that you need a Tesla to go long distance. And, uh, you know, you know, I do thousands of miles a year. You know, probably close to a hundred thousand miles a year in a Tesla, and yeah, it's no problem. You don't even think about it. You go anywhere in the continental U.S. I do zero planning. We just get in the car and go. I mean, timing comes with me a lot of this. We just go. We don't. It's easy. So uh, first off, I kind of missed the challenge of road tripping Teslas a few years ago. Uh, you know, I'm sort of brand agnostic. I just like technology, push it as far as it can, whether it's electric or combustion or whatever it is. I, sure. I you know, I'm just a car guy, not just an electric car guy. And um, I, I, for a while since the Taycan came out, I, I was like, you know, 270 kilowatt charging, which is its speed, is pretty good. Now, what's, the te- model- what's that compared to the Tesla? Because I imagine most people, even cannonballers, are listening to this and they're going, I don't know what this means. Like, sure, wh- sure, yeah. So, uh, uh, for example, Tesla- that's 270 versus what's a Tesla's fastest charging ability? Right. Well, and it goes even beyond that. But the Tesla can charge at 250 kilowatts okay. max. So which isn't that much of a difference. Uh, however, the Tesla infrastructure across the country on the Cannonball route is primarily limited to 150 kilowatts. Ah, okay. And in some cases, 120. Gotcha. Where Electrify America, which is the public CCS connector, is a different connector than the Tesla, um, is uh, 350 kilowatts at every off-highway opportunity. So um, we decided and ran some calculations that Drew's place in Denver, actually, or a couple months ago now. And we were like, I think the Taycan could just walk the Tesla. See, that's incredible uh, because everybody I've talked to, everybody, they go, oh, the Taycan's fast, but. And the but is I can't drive anywhere. I can't get anywhere in it. And in fact, sure. I even have a friend who has a Taycan for us. 
and he has like a, a a winter ski chalet up in Vermont, and he has a hard time, and he's worried about the the range in the winter because he's like, oh, I keep getting to to Vermont with like six miles left, and there's no chargers on that on that route. Yeah, well, certain routes certainly are going to be more of a, a problem in some cars than other. So, you know, for example, in, in Denver, it's the opposite situation of what you described, where it's better to have a CCS vehicle than a Tesla vehicle for fast charging. We probably have six times the number of Electrify America stations alone, excluding the other providers of public charging, than superchargers. And some routes that are probably more difficult to make a business case to put in fast charging, Tesla has their network because they just want their owners to go everywhere. Sure. So and so that's that's sort of the thing is it Tesla's a vertically integrated network, but I wanted to showcase the public networks. I think uh, they are undercredited uh, and we've heard tons of stories, including stories that I've put out on them being extremely unreliable and untrustworthy. And this is the ultimate stress test for a network. It's 27, 28. We actually haven't even counted yet. Something like this charging stops. And, and, uh, yeah, we should probably run some numbers before we go on shows. <laughs> That's okay. No, I totally get it. I, 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 th- I think it's 27 stops. Uh, and then, you know, it's how do you get a third party branded charger to interact with a Porsche vehicle run with electrify America software? So it's not Tesla charger, Tesla car, Tesla software. It's Signet charger. It's ABB charger, electrify America software, Porsche communication. And there's a lot of mix-up that can happen with all of that. That handshake is what it's called in the charging protocol. How does so? You did the first run. The first record run was a, a Model Three performance that you had lowered slightly, and you know just did some very very minor modifications. Was this Taycan modified at all? Right. So the first one was the Model Three rear wheel drive. Oh, rear wheel drive. Ty- yeah. This Taycan was. Uh, we worked uh, to get the the ultimate range spec Taycan, which is the 4S with the small motors, more efficient. The aerodynamic wheels, they do not look good at all, but they are effective. <laughs> uh, it's got balloon tires on it. It's really funny. And uh, we also have like uh, options on the car, such as thermally and noise-insulated glass to try and keep the temperature difference down. Uh, we got the passenger display, which was pretty cool. Uh, a few other things that we thought might help on the run. So uh, it, it was great to have massaging a really seats. massaging seats for sure. Well, see, that brings me to my next point. Number one, you're doing this in the winter because uh, obviously that's going to be the best part of charging your batteries, right? <laughs> you're going to get great range with, with cold weather. But two, like, did you do this whole run with the HVAC system off? No, no. We used uh, the HVAC uh, on on certain sections. We did. So, so for those who don't know, cold's really bad for an EV. It has to burn a lot of energy to heat up the cabin. Also, a battery pack has less available usable energy when it is cold. However, we kind of thought like, you know, it's mostly affecting you on short drives when the car has to heat everything up. However, on a long drive across the country, once the battery is warm, there's a lot of thermal mass. I mean, that's like a 1,200 pound battery pack. So we said, all right, well, after a couple fast charges and we'll make sure it's warm before we leave, it should just stay warm. And we'll get into more of the technical side, but it actually probably worked to our benefit, uh, at least from the battery pack temperature side, that it was cold out. And um, yeah, the, the temperature was fine. We, we typically kept the uh, HVAC system around 65 to 68 degrees in the car, although some stretches were off. We did pack blankets just in case. Um, because, uh, we had some really bad problems, not only with our car, but with the charging infrastructure ahead of the drive that really had us worried. What are the speeds that you typically carry when you do an EV cannonball? Because in a petrol cannonball, a gasoline cannonball, the idea is pretty much to make your fuel strategy match the car. So you put as much fuel in a fast car so you can go faster, which in turn, obviously you burn more fuel because you're going fast and pushing more air and all that good stuff. So with an EV, is it the same strategy? Like, like go as fast as you can go? Or do you think like, oh, well, because I know that this much wind resistance is going to limit me to this point, I need to be only going 110 versus 125 or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's very, uh, very dependent on um, basically how efficient the car is uh, and also how uh, what the distance is between chargers. Right. So you, t- uh, you tailor your driving based on the distance to the next charger. Each leg yeah. is its own leg that and we drive 
completely differently from the one before. And yeah. unlike unlike a cannonball that I might oversee, you don't have options, right? I mean, you're like, that's the charger in most cases. Like, that's the there, there one. There were some backups. Kyle did a lot of uh, pre-planning uh, for both uh, elevation change, uh, things like that, and, um, yeah, backups for uh, potential plan B uh, chargers. All right. But if we roll into a charger dead and it didn't work, a lot of those backups were like Too far halfway points, like 40, 50, 60 miles away. It just wasn't an option. So what, what are the, there's no, the there's no police listening to this. So what are the speeds? How fast do you go in a Porsche Taycan when you drive it across the country as fast as you can go? Well, the slowest stretches, uh, Timon actually took on, uh, uh you, you drove some fast stretches too, but you really took on one of the most treacherous stretches, which was really cold temperatures. We're talking single digits. Uh, not so much wind, which was good. And this is through like Nebraska. So like how fast were you averaging? Cause Drew and I were passed out. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was between either 80, it was mostly 85 to 105 were the, uh, speeds for the longest stretches and the coldest weather. That's not bad. That's like a reasonable, that's like a respectable thing you can talk about. Yeah. <laughs> like every yeah. time I've talked, I'm, all the cannonballers I talk to, it's like, okay, so like, what did you do? And it's like, well, I'm not going to say who was driving and I'm not going to say where. And if you show the video, it better only show the outside view without a single hand on that steering wheel. So you can even tell what color the skin was on it. Like, I mean, they're doing like sure. 192 miles an hour and they'll just hold like 180. So this is interesting because you're able to, I mean, at this point, the EV game is more at this like 100 to 110 level. What, what do you think yes. the max speed was of the run? Were there any sprints that you'd get up to 150? I mean, I don't know what a Taycan's limited yeah. to. Uh, we, we won't say who is driving and where, uh, but we did do uh, 160 miles per hour, uh, which was one, uh, yeah, just about maxing it out. It kind of shut off at 160. Yeah. And I'd imagine that's about number. when you're like, oh, well, we're very comfortably going to make the next charger. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, uh, just send it. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> someone may have not been paying attention during that particular stretch, and we had to go slow after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you hurry up and wait. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's brutal. All right. So the, the, here's the hallmark of a great cannonball. Um, you have everything worked out. You've got your paperwork together. You know where you're going, like checkpoint to checkpoint. What went wrong? What, what were the big things that you were like, oh, my God, like this is not what we expected? Well, th this is really the big, big thing for us, which was uh, we'll, let, we'll just we'll just hit it all at once really quick. Uh, originally, before we left on the run, I picked up the car in Florida and drove it up to New York. Uh, and it was just just by myself. And I was like, all right, well, let's just figure out this particular spec. I've driven Tycon before. Let's see how it drives at speed. and Let's go. So I picked up the car and I pulled up to our first charger, literally the first charger on the trip. And I couldn't get it to work. And I'm like, oh, uh, good. Oh, yeah. good. So I'm like. We're off to a great start here. And uh, this was an Electrify America capped at 150 kilowatt station. And what was happening was, you know, I, I can get pretty nerdy about EVs, but I'll dumb it down. The Tycon was asking for as much power as it could possibly take because I had the battery hot and we were at low state of charge. And the charger uh, was a 150 kilowatt charger, but it didn't know how to tell the Tycon, I can only give you 150. Oh, so it's and saying like so, give me one seventy five or whatever. Yeah, it is. and so yeah, the Tycon was like, great, give me two hundred and seventy. So the charger was was ramping up one eighty, one ninety, and then it would say like it would fault. It's like I can't give you any more. I have to shut down. Oh my god! And I kept running into this problem over and over. So this is a communication protocol issue uh, between the car and the charger. It's actually not the charger's fault. It's the car's fault for sending the wrong signal to the charger. Uh, the charger probably sent the signal and said, Hey, I can only give you 150. And the car said, Great, give me 270. So <laughs> the, the car is, is the master in the charging session. Right. And, the they, and, and these computers are just not negotiating with each other. Right. It's like, well, and the crazy thing for me is, you know, first charging session, and it's like Electrify America, Porsche, which one's the issue? But at the end of the day, it's both Volkswagen Group. Because they make the car and they're running the chargers. I'm comfortable. And I'm, like, I'm comfortable blaming Volkswagen. That's fine. Right. Well, like it's, hard. <laughs> it's just like I'm using all Volkswagen stuff and it's not working. Uh, so you know that's the first set stretch. So then I go up to the second. I'm like, okay, now I have another issue with a 350 kilowatt charger. Now overcharging the Tycon. The Tycon said, "Give me 270." The charger said, "Here's 320." And the Tycon said, "Ah, no, I can't no, take no. that much." Yeah. Okay. So where? How do you work that out? I mean, that like immediately you're like, "This is not There's, good." You can't just like start programming things. 
So it's just a lot of like unplugging, moving to another charger. Well, the 350 kilowatt chargers didn't work. So let me use a 150. Oh my God. And it's like just a lot of hassle of moving around. And like that one charging session that should have been 10 minutes or less turned into 25 minutes of me unplugging, moving the car. I mean, people thought I was silly. Each yeah. transition and, the, and that, you know, minute yeah. to minute and a half handshake. Yeah, because when you first plug in the car, it's not like it starts charging right away. It has to do that conversation. Hi, I'm a Porsche. Hi, I'm a Charger. Here's how much power I want. So essentially, that, you, that have takes to, time. you have to play the game of unplugging and replugging in your router because it's wonky. Like the yes. whole way across the country, there's no solution to this. Well, so this was just on the first leg. Yeah. And so now we're going up to New York and uh So your confidence the, is strong now. You're really like confidence is <laughs> confidence is low. And then the the navigation system in the Porsche just decides that it's going in one direction, not tied to where I'm going. Uh so it just loses all satellite reception. It has no idea where it is. And so we're like, okay, now we're down a GPS unit in the car. Oh my god! And and not that we needed it for routing purposes, but no, the but you reason need it, we that helps you, right? Because it, it will be like, oh, I need to go to a, I need to go to this uh, next charger. So it's like helping you route to the next charger, right? Yeah. Not only just that, but it's also while it's routing to that charger, it will warm up the battery pack for us. So it knows it's going to be jammed with you know 270 kilowatts of power. So it has to heat up the battery pack on the way. It's called on-route preconditioning. And so we really need, you know, the batteries are so uh, thermal dependent on charging speeds that we needed a red-hot battery every charging session. And we knew it was going to be cold. So we, uh, we were starting to get a little worried there. And then uh, we pick up Drew at the airport, and <laughs> we basically lay all this news on him at once that it's like, <laughs> The chargers don't work. The car uh, doesn't know where it is. And what else was wrong with it? We had something else. The SIM card didn't work in the car. Yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, those are the big ones. Yeah, yeah those were the big yeah, ones. Yeah, But then <laughs> then we, we, we started calling around Porsche dealers, like, can we get the car updated? Does it have the newest software update? We're calling Porsche engineers in WISOC that we know person personally. And we're like, what can we do to make this car work? And the, the one thing that I that we had going for us was that the Electrify America engineering team knew we were doing this drive. And we knew that they had personally gone through every single charging stop on the route that we had planned out uh, to make sure that it was working perfectly. Okay. So I was like, okay, maybe they just ignored the I-95 route up to New York and we're just going to do the cross-country trip for us. So that was like the thing in the back of the head that's like, well, maybe the chargers will work. And okay. maybe the car will send the right signals. So Paul Miller Porsche had the car. Like we called them. They literally stopped everything, had every tech like working on the car. They're pulling Tycons off the lot, tearing them open, pulling parts out of them and putting them on our car uh, so that we could get GPS to start working so that the control modules could start working. We had other little bugs, too, where we couldn't adjust the maximum speed and range mode. Um, and, and so they're just like trying everything possible. Engineers are like staying up in the middle of the night in Germany to make this happen. And, um, it, unfortunately they, I don't think they could do anything. They gave us a nice car wash. <laughs> Hang on one second. I just want to see if I can turn off this boiler. I'm just suddenly sure. like, Oh good. Everything's on. So now you've got all these people working to make this car work, which kind of leads me to believe that there's more people behind this than just you guys picking up a car. Um, <laughs> where did you get this car? Right. Well, actually, we uh, I had it on loan. You know, I, I review cars. And uh, so I had it from Porsche. And, uh, you know, in no way does Porsche condone this type of activity. Of course, you know, that they, they would never. But we all wanted to see you know, what, you know, on paper, it should be faster than a Tesla. So, you know, we, we have some awesome, awesome connections and friends and, and people that, that sort of, you know, sort of ask for forgiveness type thing, beg for forgiveness. Within, and, uh, within our circle, I think the headline goes less of EV breaks cannonball record to like press car cannonball record. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's not the first press car cannonball. Uh, there was a, a, a group that did it in an Audi e-tron last year, but in like 60 something hours. Yeah, like those are those are cute. Those are those are like cute records where it's like we're going <laughs> to do it. And they like get five people together and half the footage is done in the daytime because they're all just like, oh, we're nice and rested. And I took a I took a small shower at this truck shop. And yeah, no, this is the real deal. You guys are actually going for it. 
Um, yeah, well, look, there's it's an important metric for for electric vehicles. Now, it's no way to insinuate we would ever drive press cars in a no. non-professional manner uh, outside of this one outlier of an experience. But um, we we basically uh, you know had the had the right car. And we had the right challenge, and we did the challenge. And and to be fair, the the electric cannonball runs, especially this one. Uh, first off, I believe it was the most complicated run in terms of maths and uh, individual legs that we've ever had to do. And I also think um, it's it's not really about speed. It's not about driving fast. It's all about pushing the networks. It's a technology showcase using a method that people are comfortable in understanding. New York to L.A. Uh, more, more than more than look how fast we drove on XYZ road. Well, and the fact that you're able to say the Taycan can in fact drive across the country, regardless of the time, just the fact that you're doing this on public networks is huge. Uh, sure. What does it look like when you go to an Electrify America station? Like I know what a Tesla charger looks like and I've only done it. I've only had like the, the impossible luxury of doing it in like the grandfathered in Tesla Model S's where I go in and it's free and it's like, oh, ha, just plug it in and everything's fine. Like, what do you do? Because I know the big thing when anybody does this in like a, a gas car, Cannonball, the biggest fear is that your credit card gets declined at the pump. Um, so what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, uh, that that's, uh, well, you need a subscription uh, basically for or a, an account uh, for Electrify America. So that, that same exact thing could happen. Your card could decline. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, beyond that so what does it look coming to yeah, if you uh, like, if, if you're pulling in like let's say you're pulling in right now like what's the procedure mm-hmm. oh we had a procedure uh, yep yep so, <laughs> so you have uh unlike uh a tesla supercharger uh where yeah you just pull in plug in uh this you need an app and you need to open that app go to the correct charger and basically uh initiate charging and um there's a period of time uh, that we can do that. Well, basically a distance, uh, from the charger. Yeah. That, uh, we can start that process so we can get that going before we actually pull up and stop. Got it. Um, and, uh, then, yeah, then we, uh, we pick the, pick the charger that we started to, uh, turn on and, uh, and jump out, plug in. So how long was it taking between charges? Or how long was it taking to charge the vehicle and how low were you getting this down and how so, all right, go back a little bit. I know in the Tesla, you made a point of only charging to a certain level because the charging curve would drop off. You'd get like maximum charging and then it would be like, okay, I can't like, I can, I can't push that hard to a hundred percent. I can only push that hard to like 65% or something like that. Sure. So what does that look like in a Taycan? So the charging curve in the Taycan is very dependent on temperature. And we had some engineering files with us in the drive as well that showed us, you know, for the given uh, temperature of the battery pack with this level of charging, here's kind of what we can expect, what it's programmed to do. Uh, And it's different for every session because it's not just the car that limits your charging. Uh, Charging cables can get hot. Charging hardware can thermal throttle. Uh, You could have software that's buggy that that derates the power of the charger that handshake can be wrong so it, it a lot of it is is derived by state of charge and battery temperature that's probably 80 percent of the charging session but other things like sometimes chargers just don't give you max power and it's hard to say when and why and how uh, and a lot of moving around then we'd have to weigh the options okay we're getting 180 kilowatts do we unplug and go to the other 350 kilowatt charger which involves unplugging, moving the car, pulling up, activating the charger, waiting for them to talk to each other just to maybe see if we can get 250 kilowatts. And a lot of that compromise we had because many of the chargers for the first 60% of the trip, uh, we did not get maximum speed of the car, whether it was temperature related, software related. Uh, Electrify America uses different brands of chargers across the country. We had uh, particular issues with one brand of chargers talking to the Porsche correctly. And uh, we, we really got worried that we were falling behind schedule. Thankfully, as soon as we hit Denver, though, our charging picked up massively. And we were able to do 250 kilowatts at almost every station up until Vegas, uh, which means higher charging power, higher driving speeds. Uh, and we typically charge to 55 to 65 percent on average, I would say, of the car. How far? We does, never charge past 70. How far does 55, 65 percent get you? 
uh, at, at cannonballing speeds, just about 100 miles. Whoa. Wow. Oh, my God. you got to stop every 100 miles. I mean, that's yeah, like- and some of them were less. Some stretches were, like, I think our shortest stretch was 64 miles. We did that one on purpose. We could have charged more and stretched at slower speeds, but it was actually faster in our calculations to charge up until we tapered off of max speeds, use up all the power because you can never drive as fast as you can charge, uh, and then charge again at max speeds. And that, that worked out to be faster. It's it's the way that we did the previous cannonball in the, in the Tesla. Uh, we want to maximize the amount of time that the car spends charging at, at highest power output. So I don't know what the record is. I know there is one for the shortest time charging across the country. So but, for you guys uh, behind might, Kyle, what does this feel like in real life now that you've done it versus what you thought it would be? Because I genuinely firmly believe that nobody knows what a cannonball looks like or feels like until they've kind of been been on one or or sat through one and been like holy shit that was a lot yeah i think for the ev cannonballs it's a little bit more relaxed than doing 188 through the country (laughs) um but it was faster and slower than i expected like some stretches i thought we would be doing tops or like 134 consistent 20 minutes but it was more like we'd be doing 95 to 110 for 20 30 minutes and then some legs we'd just be doing 80 just to reach the next charger which i wasn't fully expecting so does that mean there's less counter i mean obviously you don't need a massive spotter network across the country to be watching out for you but like what's the what kind of um countermeasures are in the car is it just your eyes and ears or are you are you running you know you you do the basics a radar detector ways and binoculars or what's the deal those those three yep yep radar uh detector binoculars ways um yeah that's that's uh that's pretty much it we did have uh <laughs> some spotters um so yeah some people that uh we met at chargers and then they would drive the route ahead of us and uh, we'd just be in communication with them for any potential hazards. And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what we were using. The, the spotters still help on the electric runs during the stretches where chargers are close to each other. Yep. Uh, so, like, for example, the Rockies has a lot of elevation, but they also have uh, chargers that are close to each other. So we were able to actually really shred through much of the Rockies uh, because we had a great spotter network. And, and we had a great charging network that really allowed us to start picking up time. Uh, you know, Tom, you know this more than anyone. Once you get to Denver, there's no making up time. No, and it all, all, yeah, all the, all the bank time happens before Colorado. Sure. And we were the exact opposite. And I knew this going into it. And I was like, you know what? We got to Nebraska and I'm like, I don't think we're doing it, guys. We had too many charging issues. No, no fault of the cars driving. No fault of traffic. We got super lucky. But we were like hours behind in Nebraska based on our calculations. And it was all because we couldn't get super fast charging. And we had charging issues and activation problems. As soon as we hit Denver, we were like, wow, that's a great charge. Next one. Oh, my God. Another great charge. Yes. Next one. Oh, my God. And we're like, holy crap. There's a, there's a chance here. And we just pushed as hard as we could from Denver, and, and that's how we did it. But I think it might be the first time, at least that I've heard of, that anyone's really ever made significant time up past, like hours up. As soon as we hit Denver, we, we really just pedaled to the metal. What do you think the future of EV cannonballing looks like? Because to me, what has not yet been done is a souped up EV that no one, I mean, sure, you might have some tuning or whatever, but no one is, no one has come with basically a, a pickup truck with a bed full of batteries and and said like we have a <laughs> we have a, a 500 mile range at speed and and let's go um so i mean w- right now every car that has gone on cannonball has been largely stock barring very minor very sure. minor modifications like what what's the next threshold because you just broke it by what was it, about 45 minutes is that where we're at somewhere in that range yeah something like this 45 50 minutes yeah and and the next big i think i think you've basically just topped out what the possibilities are with stock evs f- 
within this 10 year kind of radius, right? 2015 to 2025, we're probably in this point where like that's around as fast as you'll go. This 44 hours, maybe you'll see someone lock lock in something around like what, 42 if chargers just get more consistent, but No, I, I think we'll see mid mid to high 30s within three to five years. Uh, there's some cars coming out, Lucid Air specifically, that's just on paper gonna demolish it. Uh, you know, we, we wanted to tell the Tycon story. We wanted to tell the public charging story uh, with this particular car because EPA rates it with such low range, which is totally inaccurate. It has just as much range as a Tesla. Uh, you yeah, know, wait, it, wait. All, let's all let's of- talk about that for a few minutes, actually, because this sure. is like that's huge because when I I had um, I had talked to people about EV cannonballs and partially because you would you had asked me if I wanted to join you on this one and. I had to think about it for too long. And then I decided the fact that I had to think about it for this long is why I'm not going. Um, I'm like, you know, I, I, if I'm going to be in, I want to be in. And sure. I think at the time, especially because I mean, we're doing, this is late December. I've participated in three cannonballs this year. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little sapped on the whole sure. idea of any of that. Um, so, but you know, when you said the tie can, I was just like, Oh, well, I mean, what are you thinking? Well, how, like that's that, like, that's the whole story of the Taycan is this 200 yes. mile range. Oh, this is a fucking $200,000 Porsche and it only goes this far. Like who's going to buy this? And then the real story is it's that it's the EPA test that just isn't gamed by Porsche. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. Well, well, uh, there's certain things. So like Tesla's are optimized for EPA testing. No question. Uh, they'd run them through a five cycle test. They uh, eke out every last half an ounce of, of range they can for that test. The Porsche is built to be a driver's car. And one of the biggest things is when you start up a Porsche for the first time, it doesn't start in eco range mode where it's just decoupling the rear motor. It starts in rear drive. I'm a Porsche. It's a performance car. And, and it's still more efficient than EPA in that mode, but it has range mode, which drops the suspension to the ground decouples the rear motor under light acceleration. Now you have a front wheel drive, relatively aerodynamic car that's sitting on the pavement. And we had uh, front, you know, the, the aerodynamic wheels, we bumped the tire pressure up to like 50 PSI. So like basically <laughs> the things that you mod, quote, modified on your three, you can do with a button because you're like, oh, drop yes. the car, do the, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Everything that we did on the three, which was aero wheels and lowering suspension for the most part, the, the Taycan's fully adjustable. So yeah. that- that was huge. Uh, I've done some testing with the Taycan, and, and it'll go just about 300 miles at 70 miles per hour highway. My Tesla Model 3 will do about 240, 230 miles at 70 miles per hour highway. And it, But EPA, my Tesla, has more than 100 miles more range on paper. And I'm just like, that's a whole nother topic. We could talk for four hours about EPA testing in cars, right. but it's absolutely incorrect for some cars. Audi e-tron uh, and Taycan are, are probably the two that suffer the worst. And uh, yeah, I, I test every electric vehicle in terms of range on a, as consistent tests as I can, and they by far exceed EPA. So that's a bummer uh, from a sales perspective and, and a marketing perspective, but that's why I really wanted to tell this story with the Taycan. I'm a Porsche guy. I love performance cars and, and it's really a good EV. And also the pricing, like you mentioned, everyone thinks it's 200 grand. Certainly you can spec one to well, $200,000. Yeah, I know it's, I it's mean, easy if you to want, give them shit for that. It's you know, a Porsche. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want like, you know, turn signals and a rear windshield wiper, you're into this thing. For, you know, crazy <laughs> amount of money. However, uh, our, our spec, which would I say ultimate luxury old man road trip spec, gray tan interior like seven thousand dollar leather interior yeah like all the stuff it was 143 nearas makes no difference and you can now get them under pretty much 100 grand or just under uh for some of the rear wheel drive models that are going to be pouring into the u.s soon sure so it's it's really a kind of a lot of car for the money if you get a base one and i think drew it and i we've driven all versions of the tycon now we have we think the turbo with no options, just the performance stuff is kind of the sweet spot for us. Yeah, I, I think so. You get you get what ninety eight percent of the speed of, of the, the Turbo S, yeah. which is like just it's not worth it to spend more. Fast and yeah, over two hundred grand, and that's just yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't what's sense. what's the lesson of what do you learn about um, 
about actual traveling with these cars when you do a cross country trip in it? Like what what do you what are the real pain points? Because I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of people are gonna see you do this and thank God it's not a Tesla because when you do it in a Tesla, you're basically just like part of the cult. You're part of the yep. you're part of you like it's obvious whose side you're on, you know, it's obvious, like we're trying to prove something. So people don't even trust your opinions outside of the Tesla realm at that point, because when someone says like, Oh, well, how good is it? You're like, well, it's perfect. It did it. Right. You know, so, <laughs> so, I mean, like I, the, you're like the only one in the EV realm that I trust to tell me the honest truth about how these cars perform and how they actually function for somebody's normal life. Uh, because you've dealt with the pain points, you understand what the reality of ownership and what the reality of like traveling distance is with it. How does this differ from, or I guess, how does, how does the Electrify America, because right now that sounds like a swear word. It's like whenever someone's like, oh, I'm on the Electrify America network, you're like, oh God, and it's like that second yeah. that cut rate. You're shit, absolutely right? right. So what, yeah. I mean, like educate me, turn me around a little bit and, and tell me like, what are the pain points of the Tesla compared to the Electrify America? Where does Electrify America really need to like bump up their shit and figure things out? What, you yeah, know? well. This is important, uh, and actually, I kind of want Timon to talk a little bit about this because Timon is not an electric car guy at all. He understands them. He runs around. You know, we do stuff. I mean, we, we cover combustion and, and uh, electric vehicles on our network, and, and Timon certainly is, I don't think, quite there on EVs yet. I don't think this trip did any to convince him. I don't think it would do any to convince anyone else. I think the story is uh, right now, and I, I do want Timon to talk a little bit about it, but um, a, a Tesla can get across the country maybe a little bit slower. Uh, because they don't have the version three, 250 kilowatt chargers at every post, right. like Electrify America has done. Uh, but it's super easy. You plug in and you go. Uh, we had to do so many charging activation things. Like if you want an easy trip, you get a Tesla. If you, you know, we're just pushing technology as hard as possible. It feels years behind, even though on paper, it's still pretty fast. Simon, what do you think about Electrify America? What do you think about public charging networks? Uh, and, and how overall did the trip go now that you've spent a lot of time road tripping Teslas with me? Well, the Tesla is definitely, like what Kyle said, it's definitely easier to use. And the, for the Taycan and using Electrify America, that, the biggest headache was the handshake portion, the waiting on is it going to charge, at what rate is it going to charge. But for daily living, honestly, it I don't see there's a big difference. Um, I would pref honestly, I would prefer uh, having a Taycan over a Tesla any day because the Tesla cult, and I don't like it. <laughs> I'm, with you. I'm with you. I like. That's like I don't want to talk to Tesla people. They and it's oh yep. god. I'm gonna get like I get emails about this shit, and I don't want to get emails about this shit. But like, <laughs> I. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I don't even want to say it. I'm not even gonna say it. I'm just gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go. But you know what? I I know I know how you feel. I <laughs> well, yeah. So so I think the way that all three of us feel about Tesla is it's extremely impressive technology. They've been ahead of the game. They branded it properly, and it works. No question. Yeah, I but don't hate the cars. I don't the, hate no, the cars. No, no one hates the cars. I mean, it's hard to objectively hate a Model Three performance. They're awesome. But what you can hate is people who own them or into them, their first time buyers, right? Well, no, what I mean is like to them, this is their first special car or the it's first true. car they're interested in. It's true. And on paper, it looks so good. I mean, you can, it's so hard to win an on paper war with Tesla. Oh, it's but when you start getting into the tactile feedback, the overall ownership, like just having a special car, like Drew had the Taycan with us today up in the mountains and you own a Model 3 and we're just like, we're going to get back in our Model 3s and they're going to feel like tin cans. Yeah. And so like, what what do you think? I think maybe Drew, you're probably the most qualified to answer because you live in the Tesla world and you see these people, but, but they're sort of blind to every other option and any other argument. Yeah, that's, that, that's, a, I guess, a, a good way to put it. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, so I also have a lot of experience with, you know, some of the highest end cars, uh, in the world. And yet, you know, I own a Tesla too. So, you know, I, I understand, uh, where, where there's some cost cutting, uh, done in the, in the Teslas and oh, where they sure. fairly low quality parts in certain areas. Um, but then overall, you know, the, the battery and motor technologies is incredible. The charging network. I mean, when I, you know, jump on a plane here in a couple hours, uh, and arrive in Denver, my, my wife's going to come pick me up. Uh, she's going to need to charge, uh, before she gets there. I have zero concern that she's going to have any issues. Uh, she's going to 
be able to do it, you know, no problem at all. Um, you know, they're, I don't know that it's, they're such different cars. The Porsche. You kind of need both. Well, put it this way. You guys got, you guys got to California and what did you do to celebrate? You went and drove the car in the canyons. Like you drove 44 hours (laughs) and then you went for a drive. Like, okay. That says a lot about the car. It says a lot about you, but it says a lot about the car. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I did, did just want to keep driving it. Um, it's very impressive. I mean, we just, yeah, we were, ripping pretty hard today on, on, uh, you know, uh, Angela's crest. Uh, and I mean, this car weighs, especially with three people in it, probably almost 6,000 pounds. Oh my God. And it, we're, we're keeping up with nine elevens. Yeah. We had this dude who was like the smoothest driver ever in his base nine, nine, seven, one, a Carrera manual. And we're like, this guy's the jam. He knows what's up. We kind of did the thing where we wait on the side of the road, wait for someone fast to go yeah. by trying to them. Uh, so like we waited, this dude came, he's like wide open in his, in his base Carrera. And we're like right with him with the Taycan, right? Obviously he had some higher cornering speeds, um, but it, it's impressive to see like this giant barge of an electric car <laughs> with no performance options. This is old man road trip spec, just keeping up with what was once their sports car. That's you know, incredible. Their top of the line. That's so much fun. Whatever. Does this have the two speed thing? Yes. Yeah. We should talk about this. Is there any I, I, benefit to this? Like, I, I get asked this question a Drew. lot, and I'm like, I keep my mouth shut because I'm like, I need more maths to be able to actually say if that matters. Yeah. So, yeah, we've talked a lot about this over the last few days. Um, I I don't think uh, having the two speed is the is the better way to go. Um, especially because this one is like making some weird noise. Yeah, I think ours might be not screwed together. So, <laughs> also, can I? I do want to bring up something before we get into this. Yep. We've had so many software bugs on this car, on our Porsche, and and we do objectively, you know, uh, review vehicles. We're not holding anything back here. We do have to say the car after we arrived in LA had total system meltdown and broke down on the road. Okay. And we actually—it's the first time ever I've been driving an electric car. Or a gas car with eight thousand miles on it that completely failed, and we had to do a hard reset to get it back. And, on. and did it come back though? Like when you said it, yeah, reset it was it? fine. Didn't care. It's it like the, nothing happened. I mean, it really does sound like it's a wonky car. And how many miles were on it when you got it? So have eight thousand. So you had like 6, yeah, we basically on it? put all of them on there. All right. So based on what I've done with it. All right. I mean, sometimes you get a press car and you're like, Jesus Christ, like who had this thing? And yeah, but we were we were. It really didn't go through anything before us. The only thing I can think is that the car was produced, shipped, and sat around for a while, and the 12-volt system may not have been charged properly and had some issues. We don't know the cause, but it is worth saying that it definitely doesn't feel finished from a software perspective. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. I mean, you know, that's like a legitimate information. And I guess the other thing about the, the cult of Tesla is that they always look at it like, well, I get firmware up or, you know, software updates over the over the air. I just happen to And the Taycan will support that next year. Okay. Uh, it will come as an update to, I believe, existing vehicles. You go in for like your last dealership update and then you're running on the on the over the air life for the rest of the car. Okay. So back to this transmission. Does it it so doesn't I mean I get the idea, right? The idea is that instead of your electric motor spinning at like, you know, 20 or 40,000 rpm or whatever the hell it's doing to go super fast, you're you're slowing it down, which I would assume generates less heat. It doesn't really help from a torque perspective uh, or anything like that. I think it just is the, like, is the idea just to, just to slow the motor down and reduce MVH or like, what is the point of this? Yeah, it's, it's a combination. I mean, it's kind of, it's really the same concept as, as a gas car. Um, but, uh, yeah, acceleration is actually a big part of it. So, um, yeah, more torque to the wheels in that lower ratio. Right. Okay. Better inverter efficiency. Right. Uh, when when the motor is spinning slower at highway, so you get more range at speed. Yep. The, the whole reason for the the two speed comes from uh, needing to match Tesla on acceleration and needing to maintain some sort of uh, high speed, high acceleration, and uh, for autobahn stuff, basically. Okay. And uh, the range certainly plays into it, but honestly, you it, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Uh, like, like, do you have the opportunity? Like, do you have the option? Do you are you? I haven't driven a Taycan yet. Can you just say like, I want you in first gear or low gear, whatever they call it? Um, can you yeah, do that? In yeah, sport mode uh, puts it in in the lower ratio uh, up to like sixty five. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, more often uh, in your yeah your your. But on the modes. highway, what we did was we ran the car in range mode, 
which decouples the rear drive unit. So it's actually just not even connected to the rear wheels. Okay. And we were front wheel drive all the way up to 94 miles an hour, which then it couples back up. It rev matches, then closes the clutches onto the rear drive unit. And that process, sometimes it got confused. See, it just seems like this added nightmare of complexity in a car that <laughs> yeah. the whole point. I mean, the thing is, yeah. to me, every time I do an oil change, I go, I got to buy a fucking Tesla. Because I love the idea of essentially zero maintenance. I love that there's no transmission. There's just motor, motor, and, you know, the connection points, right? That's yeah. it. Um, the fact that this thing has a transmission, essentially does drive me a little insane because all i'm thinking is like now this warranty actually matters to me and i'm like oh shit like yeah well and the 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 really impressive thing uh for me especially versus uh you know a tesla is the the high speed acceleration is is much better and that and that feels really good and that's all in that second uh gear ratio um and yeah so i i think the car could uh, do so much better just being in that second gear ratio or maybe some split between the two. Yeah. Like leave the, uh, and eliminate leave the zero all to 60 that complication. On the, yeah. Forget about zero to 60 yeah. and yeah. Simplify the car. Um, yeah. The, the noise is when it, yeah. Oh, so, oh. so timing can speak, but, uh, just, uh, we, you know, we had to do a lot of, again, especially early on in the trip, we mentioned we had a ton of charging issues. So we had to do a lot of, let's move the car from this charger to this charger, to this charger. Sure. And, uh, Timon was, all, was doing a lot of that and he was also outside, but what, what's it like when you just, maneuver the car in tight spaces it goes okay let me put it in reverse okay then you can go on the throttle then back up stop to a complete stop then you can go to drive then forwards and then you can start charging once in park but you have to come to a complete stop you can't smoothly go from like reverse to drive to then a seamless Yes, like one of the best parts of a Tesla is tight maneuvering because the motors are just spinning one way or the other. Right, and it's so easy. It's instant. You don't feel a thing. And it's so smooth because all you're doing is like it's even if you have some momentum in reverse and you put it in drive, all you're doing is like gradually stopping and going the other way. It's so simple. Yeah, but but the Taycan is like clunk, clank, clink, clunk, 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 clank, clink. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like things are shaking and then sometimes it gets confused and then you get a boom. <laughs> and we're like, holy crap! It, did we just it, break it, it wouldn't be a Porsche if it didn't sound broken. Porsches, if they don't sound broken, it is. There's there you go. That's absolutely every right. time you get into nine eleven, you if you I get phone calls like, "There's a lot of chatter when I'm sitting at idle." I'm like, "Yeah, that's everything happening." I'm like, "If you don't yes. hear that, <laughs> you're not you're not going anywhere. You should call a tow truck." Um, all right. I yeah, guess my so my last question: What does this record? What does this mean for tesla i mean this to me says whoa like we've got something else going on here well first off i think it does a lot for public perception again we don't know what it'll be because we haven't told anyone yet again you are the first uh so we we really do believe that um people are blind to what's happening in the industry. Every automaker is going towards electric. I mean, they sort of have to just just with the way everything's going. Uh, they are not approaching the problem in the same way Tesla is. Uh, and that's not to say it's wrong. It's just different. So this is the first real showcase on a, uh, a stress test of public networks and probably, at least on sale today before the Lucid comes out, the best road tripping electric vehicle. And uh, what it means for Tesla is, Really nothing. They'll they'll upgrade the version two chargers to version threes eventually along the route, and then we'll let the races go. It'll be Tesla Roadster versus Lucid Air. Then it'll be like, oh my God, can the Tesla Semi do a thousand miles on a charge? Maybe that's the answer. Like who knows, right? So it's just going to be sort of Tesla versus everyone else, like you said, Apple and Windows. Uh, but at least we're we're we wanted to give the others, everyone other than Tesla, a fighting chance here. Uh, and to just wake people up, be like, hey, look, they, there's millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of infrastructure that has gone in to support a drive like this, to support daily living with a non-Tesla electric vehicle that if you ask any Model 3 owner off the street, they're like, oh, well, good luck getting your Bolt to, you know, down the street. I don't know. They're like, where are you going to charge it? Well, hopefully this at least opens people's eyes to look a little more. That's my main personal motivation here. Do you but the runs going forward are going to be Tesla versus everything. Do you find it's an issue or it's really like close-minded and obnoxiously corporate to make it 
a closed ecosystem and us versus them proposition where at this point, unless you have an Electrify America charge point in the same location as a Tesla charge point, like let's say you, you know, let's say you're married and your wife wants a Model 3 and you want a Taycan and you guys go on a road trip together because you're moving or you're doing something. You need two cars. You got the whole family. You don't have an RV. You know you're bringing two cars. Like, is it enough? I mean, I can do that in two gas cars and I know we can stop at the same places. We can get gas at the same places. I mean, do you think this is really obnoxious or how do you, I mean, what does the future look like with cars? Because I, I mean, no matter what we drive, we can all go on a road trip together. The four of us could all get in our, on our petrol cars and go drive on a road trip and get, go to the tail of the dragon and get gas and not think about it. But if we all have different charging types of cars in EV land, I mean, are we even friends anymore? Are we, is this like, you know, <laughs> yeah, is this like, absolutely a, right. is this like and, an iPhone uh, where you're like, oh, I only talk to my blue friends because they're easier to text than my green friends? The answer is yes. Uh, also, anyway, uh, <laughs> okay. no, so, so uh, this is a, an incredibly important point. Uh, and we just experienced this. I just drove an I-3 across the country from North Carolina to Denver during a move. And my girlfriend drove my Tesla and we did not really see each other. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. But here's the deal. Uh, Tesla spent the money to put in their charging infrastructure and Tesla owners are expecting it. I think actually I'm not in the camp that thinks they, they should open that up to everyone. I'm in the camp that thinks we need a really good public network, which also includes allowing Teslas to charge at wherever they want. So I think rather than letting everyone else charge at Tesla, let Tesla charge everywhere else. And the answer is already here. We have a Chatamo adapter. It's limited to very low speeds. Your audience has heard us talk 270 kilowatt, 250. This is limited to 50 Ooh. on a good day. Uh, however, there are CCS, which is the common standard like the Taycan uses. It will be the standard in the in the country and most of the world except for China and Japan. Uh, CCS uh, is what we use. And there will be a CCS to Tesla adapter supported by Tesla. Right now, there's a third-party solution that's kind of janky, uh, but Tesla will have to support it at some point, I, I truly believe. And, uh, you know, from, from a public charging network, the more people that use them, uh, the more chargers we'll have because there's no business case right now to install DC fast charging. It's a lose-lose. The only reason Electrify America is there is because it's dieselgate punishment. Uh, it's not because they said, oh, we're going to make a ton of money and put this network in. No, they're losing a ton of money. There's no way to make money on DC charging. And, uh, you know, that that will change over the next few years as equipment costs come down, as uh, permitting costs come down and timelines. But but really, the answer is we need as many people using the public network as possible. And that's what the Tesla to CCS adapter. Do you think there's a difference in so you you've personally probably um, visited more charging stations than nearly anyone in the world. Um, mm. and, and yeah, you haven't thought about that, have you? <laughs> uh, no, I have. I, I actually have a list, I think, and it's it's probably over a thousand charging stations, maybe more. Which 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 network is the nicer, safer place to be? I mean, every Tesla place I've ever gone, like the sketchiest ones are behind a Panera Bread, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, by you, they're up at Panera Breads a lot. And uh, I mean, I've been to some really sketchy Tesla superchargers. I've been to superchargers that have gone into places that have then gone out of business. Oh, but the chargers are still there, right? So yeah. there's one in like Joplin, Missouri, I think, yeah. that we hit on the last cannibal. That's like literally like crackhead vans everywhere and you're just there in a closed parking lot through a little hole in the fence just enough to squeeze a Tesla through to oh charge God. up. And it's like really sketchy. So yeah, charging station safety is something that hasn't been talked a lot about yet. There's no good solutions right now, uh, but it's an area that needs more focus, such as like what happens when someone comes up to your car, for example. Can you unplug and go? You need to physically get out of your car, pull the charging port. Yeah, I want to drive away. There's nothing you can do. And the car won't let you turn it on when it's charging. Right. And so, so these Oh, these boy, are, we are giving all kinds of nasty criminals ideas here. Like, hey, guess what? <laughs> let's, let's hope you have a good audience. Um, yeah. Oh, but, but no, th this needs more focus. Uh, what's the nicer network? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's all about which is the fastest. And right now it's Electrify America because it can give me more power. Okay. So I, if I go to a – if I take a Lucid on a trip, if I have a Lucid or a Model S to take on a trip, right now I, I would take a Lucid because I know it's faster. Fair enough. All right. And what about you guys, though? I think I think food selection by Tesla superchargers are better. Yeah, they're not at Walmart's. We saw yeah. every Walmart across yeah. the U.S. Oh with Electrify America. We know 
uh, exactly how every Walmart looks inside. But if there is one place <laughs> that I would be comfortable, like pulling up and sleeping in a parking lot, Walmart's usually the place to go. There's lights on yeah, all the time. It's generally like, pretty safe. Yeah. I don't think we ever once feared for our safety on this drive. No, no. Yeah, Not they, were, they were all in, in pretty, uh, pretty nice areas. Yeah. Pretty good. Well, gentlemen. It's been real. I'm very thankful that you guys came on and talked to me about this. I think I, I have a lot of fun talking about these cannonballs because I don't have to defend it from a you know safety perspective. Nothing you do is anything I wouldn't have done literally today. So sure, no, yeah. that that's exactly the point. And it will be like this for the next, let's just say, three to five years, and then the speeds are going to have to get up to to normal cannonballing speeds. Do you think? Do you think three to five years is when we start to see the 32 hour? you know mark yeah yeah probably more than three years for the 32 but le- but definitely within the next two years for for an under 40 yeah because i an think under 40 is doable maybe even a tycon if everything's perfect but it won't be uh the tycon we were planning a 41 or a 42 but we did it in the middle of winter with uh you know with charging software issues we literally had 40 engineers between Porsche and Electrify America, cancel their New Year's Eve plans and start working remotely to get us across the country. Isn't I mean, it funny how? Isn't it funny how? I mean, look, it's only because the idea of crossing the country is appealing to to people for Absolutely. this total bullshit fantasy reason, and it's appealing to me. I only say it's bullshit because if I really like, if someone says why. I hate it when people ask me why. Why do it? Well, I don't know. It's just it's fun. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, like Drew said, it's kind of like you're driving like you're late for work across the entire country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't sound fun. Like, when you sell it to someone, it sounds terrible. Like we're not going to sleep. We're we're going to eat beef jerky, and we're basically going to be in a rush for yeah, forty it's hours. Very very stressful. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god well once again thank you so much for coming on uh i hope i hope to see some footage i hope i can put this on 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 youtube as well as the uh the just the other you know streaming platforms but this is super fun i'm really excited to see not just because i'm a, a mild tesla hater but i'm really excited to see like you know porsche get in the game and the fact that porsche has this record i think is going to encourage a lot of tesla people to try some cool shit because like i said what we haven't seen yet are the souped up range monsters out there patrolling the country like that? Yeah, it's mainly because you don't have, you know, not everyone is a software engineer, a coder, and an electrical expert. With a fuel tank, it's just let me just put a box in the back and fill it with more liquid. This is like, how does it actually work? And it requires teams of people to make larger battery solutions. There are uh, charging solutions that we've thought about. Um, like what, like what if you have a charger in the back of a semi truck on a diesel generator, is this still an electric cannonball? Like what, at what point does it constitute cheating? Like the only rule in cannonballs, there are no rules. Well, that's where we, that's whenever, so whenever someone says, is this against the rules? We, this is what, how we respond. We go, well, it's not really in the spirit of cannonball. (laughs) Right. So, so we are trying to figure out during our drive, like, What's in the spirit? Yeah. Like, do we buy a sprinter van and put a giant V8 in it and tailgate it? Sure. For winters? I, I mean, like, that's like, what like they, do or not? And Drew thinks that's cheating. I think it's a good I, idea. I, well, I think it's against the spirit. I think right? it's not in the spirit of Cannibal. Well, guys, that's incredible. Congratulations. It's exciting. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's like it, it, I'm maybe it's my maybe I'm getting more mature. That's unlikely. But maybe I'm getting older and I'm just having more fun with kind of these nuanced sort of records. But, you know, when someone comes to me and tells me they did they did it in 24 hours or 23 and a half hours in, you know, oh, we put a we put 150 gallons of fuel in this ute and went across the country yeah, like, yeah. i'm gonna go oh my god i can't believe nobody died and that's coming from right me. yeah well that's the thing yeah we're at no point did we ever feel that we uh gravely endangered anyone uh and and nor were we ever putting safety at risk you know that the, the electric runs still are a showcase of technology not a showcase of speed we hope they stay that way for a while. Safety is so important on these drives. Even just staying alert for 44 hours is tough. So three drivers made it a lot easier than two last time. I definitely got more sleep. Uh, all three of us were, were alert and safe enough to drive. Uh, the, the, this is so important, and, and I think it's going to really hurt uh, the electric runs 
uh, because electric runs are very different than a normal cannonball. We call them cannonballs because that's what people recognize with. But it's really a, a technology showcase absolutely. of charging. Absolutely, absolutely. But as soon as as soon as uh, a, a full combustion cannonball person or an, or a, or a electric cannonball person has a major accident, big public thing, it, it ruins all of this for us. It does. So safety is very important. And I look forward to the ingenuity of kind of quote unquote like blue collar cannonballers because right now the technology is in such a place where like you know you can have somebody take uh, a, a, a bunch of fuel tanks and shove them in a rental mustang like fred and kind of do this thing whereas at some point it won't take an electrical engineer to be able to increase the range it won't take an electrical engineer to do that it's going to just be like you know like janky kids who are who have been around these cars for so long anyway i know he has yeah. a flight to catch so you guys I don't know what else to say. It's cool. Uh, have a safe flight back and uh, stay safe. Have a good new year. And rest assured, I will uh, maintain the embargo until you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank all you. right. See you guys. So what do you think? Is this going to be a fight between all these EV automakers to to try to beat this? Is this kind of like this unofficial claim to fame that is you know, no one would ever say in the corporate world is important to them, but is kind of important to them? It'd be interesting to see what happens when Lucid has their vehicle out, when Rivian comes out. I mean, I do think that there are going to be some Skunk Works teams that are going to put in some range extenders, some large battery packs, some interesting stuff. I I'm very interested to see what modified EV cannonballs bring to the table. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to respect the drive and I'll see you in the next one.